So, uh, I didn't realize that I was actually scheduled to speak till this morning, although I guess I said that uh, last Sunday. But I've always, uh, you know, in the 90s, I had the kind of job that uh, was 100% commission. So you either make money or you make no, no money. And like when a deal goes through, you get paid. If it doesn't go through, it doesn't matter if it gets to the very end. If it falls apart, you make nothing. So I had to learn not to be anxious or worried and just trust God. But I became, by the grace of God over time, you know, what God does, like a lot of people miss the opportunity that your trials and your problems are. If you have problems or trials, they're the greatest thing that God has ever given you because they are the opportunity to meet him in ways that will eternally be permanent in your uh, appreciation of what he went through in his sinless life, death, and so forth. They're a part of your fellowship with him. And so uh, in that particular area, I had a lot of problems in my life with being anxious and worried. And in fact, uh, one of my habits that uh, I'd encourage you to have some kind of markers or habits of something, things you do as part of your Christian walk is all the time, like certain things that you do weekly, like be, be at the Lord's Day, uh, you know, certain things you do annually. So one of the things I do annually is between my birthday is December 2nd, Thanksgiving is usually November 20th to 25th in that range, but it's normally about 40 days between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day. So I use that 40-day period to seek the Lord for direction for the coming year. And one of the things I ask God to give me is a verse of guidance. And so, uh, as well as make goals and other things too, but um, the, the whole idea of a verse of guidance I found very helpful. And for me, uh, there's a section in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 6, verse 19 through uh, 34, the end of the chapter, where it's the Lord is helping us with the very human problem of anxiety or worry, which is uh, the same root, actually, as unbelief or, or fear. And actually, the word anxious means to be, di to be divided between two mas masters. Anxiety is experienced when God is not properly enthroned in your heart in the right place. And it's at, anxiety is the greatest gift God can give you because it helps you know that he wants to help you be in a different place with him uh, because he's come to save you. He's come to bless you. So when you have different kinds of anxiety in your life, it's actually the best uh, thing you can be given because it came into man's heart when, in, in, when man sinned and when, when sin entered into the world. And it's, it's the most sure barometer of helping us know how healthy we're getting with the Lord. And so, like, coming out of anxiety into trust, peace, faith, confidence, joy, is a, a, is a journey for every Christian. Nobody went forward at a Billy Graham crusade and then just had peace and joy and spiritual maturity for, ever after. <laughs> That's kind of how you get hear testimonies. You know, people, I was a bank robber and, you know, and that, you know, and then I became a Christian and I, like, I've been just this wonderful Christian ever since. 
like gag me. I mean, that, that's that, that, that is just disgusting. That nobody gets sanctified that way. Um, you know, we learn often more from our failures than we do from our successes. Uh, we ha- have an ongoing sin problem, which is a great blessing because the ongoing sin problem causes us to need Christ. If we didn't have an ongoing sin problem, we'd be like, I got this. You know, I, I had uh, four kids, and, you know, when you have kids, you, you find out they're all different. Is there a way we could get, get this out of here somewhere so I can have more room? Just so I can get some, somebody to take care of that. Like, let's get that out of my... Thanks. Um, the reason I like cordless mics is they used to use the mic to reel me back in when I got to... <laughs> but... Uh, Your ongoing sin problem is uh, God's blessing to you. Uh, keeps you needing him. And, you know, I was starting to say I, I had four kids, and my son Victor, he was very independent from age two. Like, he wouldn't let anybody even help him take a bath when he was, like, 18 months old. And I used to worry, like, is he going to drown? <laughs> you know, like, but he wouldn't let anyone in there when he's taking a bath. You know, it's like... I hope he can swim, but I uh, <laughs> hope he knows how to turn the water off when it's starting to get too high. Um, please, Mom, don't hand me those pills from the shelf. I'd rather do it myself. Um, but all of us would be uh, misunderstand. God doesn't want you uh, what's overly dependent on people and so forth. He doesn't want you codependent. But he does want you interdependent on both him and the, the, the family and body of Christ that God's put in your life. And learning to relate to all of that wisely and appropriately is, you know, some people want, the, you know, like their family or their community to do everything for them. And some people want, don't want their family or community to do anything for them. And neither of those is healthy. So... Today we're uh, going to get into, uh, we're, we're doing this series called Three Takeaways from Romans, and we're going to get into takeaway three. Just to remind us, takeaway one is that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And salvation is not about going to heaven. Evangelicals turned it into that in the, in the late 1800s, but that's a reduction of the gospel. Salvation is everything that came into the, to the whole cosmos when, when man sinned. Salvation will have uh, environmental impact. Salvation will have economic systems impact, where there will be more godly and just. As the kingdom of God continues to grow in the earth, there will be less injustice someday. Wouldn't that be amazing? But that's what God has in mind. And so uh, salvation is, is physical health, spiritual health, mental health. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's more of Christ in every way, shape, and form. He was, you know, the, the name Jesus means Yahweh is our Savior. And Jesus was the only person who ever lived that did not need a Savior. 
And salvation is, is inextricably intertwined with having more of Christ experientially in your life. And guess what? That's God's intention. You know, we have so many wrong thinkings in our Christian life that are so full of fears, doubts, and I, I don't measure up, and self-condemnations, and we're going to try to address some of that today. But none of that is actually what the Spirit of God is saying to you. That's not what the Bible is saying to you. He came to save you. And uh, unlike uh, my uh, pitiful basketball career, Christ actually wins. <laughs> so, you know what? Nothing is going to keep him from con continuing to manifest more of your salvation. And even though you're your actually own worst enemy in the process. You have a person inside you that the Bible calls the, you know, the sin nature, the old nature, the Adamic nature, whatever you want to call it. But you know, we've met the enemy, and he is me. <laughs> and, uh, and Christ came to save me from me. And he's greater than me, so, he's gonna, so that's going to be the end of it. And sanctification is an ongoing process, but it's a, it's a sure and steady process. And even uh, sometimes big set, setbacks, you know, Paul taught the sovereignty of God and that God could even use our sins and failures so much that, as he points out in Romans, that he was accused of saying, let us do evil that good may come. But that was not what he was saying. But even your sins can work to God's glory and benefit, and he won't waste them and he'll redeem them in the end. Not that that should ever be an excuse because the wages of sin is death and you don't want to pay the price. I don't have enough savings to cover my own sins, not, let alone yours too. But there's more than enough redemption for that. So, uh, hey, uh, I need a bottle of water too and another coaster. I, do we, we don't have more coasters. Why do we only have two coasters? Well, this one's, well, here, just get rid of the ice water, will you? Uh, I got it. I got it, David. It's okay. So, um, to, uh, takeaway one is the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But don't think of salvation in too uh, minuscule. Increase what you think salvation is because it's everything you think it is and it's a lot more than that. Isn't that awesome? And even like there, now, almost every Christian I know has some ongoing issues. Like I've, you know, I had perfect health and then I got, became a Christian and I've had nothing but uh, physical problems with my health ever since I was 17. Uh, 14 car accidents didn't help. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, of course, I was a little wild. But, uh, you know, uh, I never had any back problems or any issues until I became a Christian. And, uh, but God, God allows some of those things in your life because he's doing all sorts of other great things in him. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit today. 
don't forget point number two is that much of the structure of Paul's epistles, including Romans, Romans has three presentations of the gospel. Approximately Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4 is presentation number one. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, presentation number two. Romans 9, 10, and 11, presentation number three. And then Romans 12 through 16 has uh, how we should walk out all the things that, that are the implications of the first 11 chapters. And so it's sometimes compared to the milk, because milk builds structure and bones. And we're going to talk a little bit today about building structure. Today, what we're going to get into is, is the third thing in, in Romans is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And one of the most important things uh, that, you can, that you can actually um, bear in mind is that the Holy Spirit helps you keep everything as you walk with God out of the theoretical and into the relational, which means into the pragmatic and the practical where you live. Marriage is a wonderful concept when you read marriage books. It sounds great. But then marriage is something, is, uh, has a different reality that you need to work on, and it has to do with whether you can keep Christ in the center of it or not. No, all relationships are meant to be terrible. They don't work if Christ isn't the center. You know, I can almost predict sometimes when I, of course, I've always uh, been a pastor of churches that have outreaches to campus ministries, and I kind of know three or four years ahead of time who's going to get married and who's not going to get married for a while because of things like spiritual sensitivities and maturities. You don't want to be involved in that kind of relationship till you start to grow up in the Lord some. Because you'll just destroy each other. And, uh, you know, some people catch on easier than others. And it's not about, like, condemning anyone for catching on. It's about how can we help each, each person kind of start to get it and to move forward in their salvation. Some people are stuck at the starting gate for years and years, and others just go right up in the Lord. And it's kind of hard to understand. What today I want to do is talk about some things about the Holy Spirit, because he, he came to apply Christ. He came because the battle is in your mind, and he, he is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is, is, a, is a deep, necessary, ongoing relationship if you're going to interpret the, the Word of God in any kind of practical, correct way. Apart from deep interpersonal intimacy with the Holy Spirit, you can't think or see anything right. So... Uh, Apart from that intimacy with the Holy Spirit, you'll always have, um, you'll always have a, um, a disconnect between what you think the Scriptures are t teaching and what and how it affects practical things like your wisdom for raising children, your wisdom for marriage, your your uh, your interpersonal relationships in the church, even. 
your ministry, your vocation. Uh, wholeness and maturity are come about by being more and more filled with the Holy Spirit and more and more. And God doesn't leave you in some, a lot of people have, a, have spiritual experiences. Colossians talks about this. And he talks about people that in their fleshly mind, they're deceived by, because they've had, they, by visions they have seen. Now, because the King James Bible couldn't deal with the, the truth, it, it misinterpreted that line to talk about visions they have not seen. But, the, but all the modern translations correct that. It's, it's actually visions they've seen. There's lots of people that have had really powerful, wonderful worship and uh, dreams and visions and so forth that are spiritually infants and doing terrible. Because in some cases, their prophecies and their visions and so forth have deceived their heart and they haven't learned how to submit their life to Scripture or, or to the plurality of God's church and things like that. And, and you, how, you know, just so you don't deceive yourself, you'll know because lots of things won't be working in your life. That's God's gift to you. When things aren't working in your life, don't get all bummed out. Don't get condemned because that won't help you. Say, Lord, help me become more humble, more teachable. Help me seek you. Open my eyes to the, what it, you're, what you're, who you really are and what you're really doing and how to really walk with you because the fact that my uh, you know, vocational life is falling apart or my marriage life is falling apart or I can't handle finances worth beans or can't keep a job or whatever. Some of these things are God's gift to you to help you understand you're not approaching God with correct thinking. Some of it's just as little, as easy to understand as if you had, you're still battling things like anxiety and depression. Don't be down on anyone that's battling depression or anxiety or self-condemnation or whatever. That, that's just God's part, part of how God saves us is first you got to see it's not working. That's the first step always. And the people who are the most spiritually mature are actually always just the most spiritually humble who realize it's not working and they're the most desperate for God. And they're teachable by the scriptures, by the Holy Spirit, and by the church. And, the, and they're the ones that grow up in the Lord. Because they know, I'm full of, well, we'll not finish that sentence. I meant to say sin. Uh, <laughs> which has a, a similar foul odor. But uh, to what you might have been thinking. But uh, um, because that's what we are apart from Christ. There's no good thing that dwells in us, Romans 7. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit and about applying this to, to salvation. Um, we're going to start with Catherine Weiss coming and talking about uh, how she got filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to go a little longer today because we don't have kids today. Just a couple little kids, but not, not too many. Come, come and talk to us for a minute. So I was a baby Christian. <laughs> That's where the story starts. <laughs> um, I had become a Christian at the age of 15. Uh, 
October 2nd, 1971, as you know. And I didn't know anything about anything. Now, the man who shared with me, Joseph McAuliffe, encouraged me to get a Bible. That, there was no Bible in my home. Um, so I first had to get a Bible, and some Christians helped me get a Bible, and then I had to read it. And then he also encouraged me to fellowship with the saints, other Christians, so I got involved with a small group of Christians who, like myself, had just gotten saved. We were all babies, fellowshipping with babies. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> and uh, uh, just beginning this Christian life. So I, I didn't know anything. I started with the Gospels. Somebody, somebody said, start with the Gospels. So I started there. So I started reading the Gospels, and it was an amazing experience. Uh, Jesus, you know, is just, the words are jumping off the page. You know, Jesus is doing all these wonderful things. Um, so I'm reading through the Gospels, and I don't know anything, and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit anyway. Nobody shared with me. I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard of it before. Okay, so the, what happened was, um, so the fellowship group that I was a part of, they sang very simple songs. Some of the songs they sang were songs that kids sing in Bible classes or whatever. I mean, we sang really simple songs. There were a couple of people who played guitar and that was it. You know, we didn't have anything, really. We just met together. Sometimes we met outside, sometimes we met in a classroom at Bowling Green State University. Back then, the, the buildings weren't locked up tight all the time, and you know you could go into an empty classroom and, and have a Bible study with someone or whatever. So um, I didn't know what this was, but I was meeting with a group of Christians who were, many of them I later found out were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. So, you know, but so I would go to these meetings and, and I'd hear people singing in tongues, speaking in tongues. And I was like, well, that's cool. They know Spanish. <laughs> I thought they were speaking in Spanish. I was like, you know, there's Spanish speaking people in the part of Ohio that I grew up in. And, you know, they're speaking Spanish or, or they know some other language and they're praising God in this other language that they know. And I didn't think much of it. I, I thought it was cool, you know, but I didn't really think anything of it. Um, so I'd been saved about six months, and I was enjoying this wonderful honeymoon period with the Lord where every day was so exciting. It was exciting to read the Bible all the time. It wasn't a chore. It wasn't difficult. I, you know, it was, everything was wonderful. And so I, um, you know, living at home with my parents as a teenager, you know, my parents thought I'd kind of gone off the deep end. <laughs> Little did they know. <laughs> I, try, I tried to keep it, I tried to keep it real, you know, low-key. <laughs> um, so one night, I'm in my room, and I'm singing songs to the Lord, songs of praise. I just, I didn't know it at the time, but I was totally filled with the Holy Spirit. How did I get filled with the Holy Spirit? He just poured it on me. 
just out of his graciousness and his love. So I'm singing these songs that I'd learned with the fellowship group. And while I'm singing these songs, at a certain point, I can't, but I'm singing really quietly so my parents can't hear. <laughs> you know, which is really, you know, like, I'm whispering singing, if that's even possible. So, so I'm singing these, and I'm just so filled with the joy of the Lord. And then I'm like, Lord, I love you so much, and you have filled me with so much, so many good things, and I don't have the words to tell you how much I love you and I thank you. And I said that. I said that just like that. And then the next minute, I was speaking in tongues. I was speaking syllables that my mind did not understand what I was saying, but I knew intuitively in my spirit, I had a sense that God totally answered that prayer right then and there. He gave me words to tell him adequately. You know, I felt my English words weren't adequate. I couldn't put into English words all that I was feeling and experiencing. So he gave me some words that my brain didn't understand, but my spirit understood them, and he understood them, and that was all that mattered. So I was speaking in tongues. I, didn't, I still didn't know what it was. I didn't know what this was called. I didn't know if anybody else had experienced. I had not yet read the book of Acts. I had not you know, read the passages where you know, the disciples were in Jerusalem, and they... They had waited for power from on high to be poured out on them, and then it was, and then they were speaking in tongues. I hadn't read that. I didn't know about that. In church growing up, nobody had ever talked about anything even remotely close to that. I had no knowledge of this. I had just had this experience. It didn't come through me to me through another human being. It just God just sovereignly baptized me in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so then the next step is, the next time I meet with my Christian friends, I tell them about this experience. And I'm like really excited. And they go, oh, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Like, whatever, dude, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be one of the cool kids too. So I was like, yeah, I was... I was real nonchalant. Yeah, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it's great. I'm speaking in tongues all the time. Cool. <laughs> and it was quite a while, you know, honestly, months before my knowledge of what had transpired caught up with my experience. But that was okay. I knew it was from God. I knew it was not from any other source. I knew, looking back on it, I always knew that this was a valid spiritual experience from God. How could it not be? In one breath, I am praising God. In the next breath, I am speaking in tongues. This gift must have come from God himself, not any other source. Uh, I've known Christians through the years who have struggled with thinking that perhaps if they spoke in tongues that it, it was something they just made up or it came from Satan. Um, and the genuine gift of the Holy Spirit is only from God. I can, I can say that without any hesitation. In 50 years of being a Christian, uh, you know, 
there's never been a question in my mind, even one time, that what I experienced was from God. Never, never a doubt. Uh, it was plain and clear. All right, so you should have an outline that should have a lot of verses from Romans on the back of it. Uh, under takeaway three. And so um, I just want to go through a few points, but here's, here's what I'm trying to do today. Um, I would say I don't actually know how many people come to this church, to be honest. We haven't counted in a while. I guess it's probably 75 to 85 people or whatever. It might be a little bit more than that with the, all the children. Uh, we are missing about 25 people today for various reasons. Hopefully, we can do a good job through the discipleship groups of convincing people to watch the video. Because I think this is a very necessary, helpful message. If you get this, it'll change you. And one of the concerns that... Uh, that I struggle with is um, it's like uh, you meet uh, people who come to know Jesus, they start reading their Bible, they get filled with the Spirit, and they just go, for, as the Bible says, from glory to glory, from fragrance to fragrance. They have it like you, every time you get in the presence of God, every time the Spirit of God is illuminating your Bible to you, Every time you're uh, filled with the Spirit, it's a, it, it should leave a permanent deposit of grace that's, that's changing you from glory to glory. And you're, you're, gonna, you're being conformed into his image. And we're going to talk about transformed versus conformed a little bit. So uh, here's some takeaways. Romans 1, uh, I'm at the top. I'm just going to highlight a couple of things, but you'll get more out of these if you take the time to highlight what I'm talking about. Then go back and read these on your own. Maybe read the whole chapter. Read the whole book again. Re-listen to some of John Gray and Daniel Williams' messages. I don't know, but uh, wrestle with God. Salvation is something that God gives free, but uh, grace is not opposed to effort. And a lot of the reason that people grow versus other people don't grow is because salvation involves effort. It involves things like consistency and not missing meetings. It really does. I, I know when I'm preparing a message, I, you know, of course I haven't been speaking at the church for the last year or two because you know, we're working on raising up a uh, mul multiplicity of good teachers. And uh, so I've been uh, kind of taking a break and just regrouping and thinking. But um, when, when I'm preparing a message, I actually know who's not going to be there. Because <laughs> I know that some people miss because God has them doing something else that they're supposed to be at. Some people miss because their flesh and their demons have that much uh, uh, influence in their life. And when there's a message that's going to really help them, they're not, they're not going to be there. There are some people who have that, that much uh, lack of discernment. And so one of the, the things, you know, Hebrews 10.25 says, not to forsake the assembling together of the elect, as is the habit of some. Like, look at your habits. 
there's a reason. I, you know, I, I am frequently, especially when all kinds of people are having all kinds of problems on a Sunday morning, I end up late for the 8.30 prayer meeting. But I'm never, never here past 10 minutes to 9 or so. Or, you know, I'm always here by that time. And, uh, you know, I don't miss the 9.30 and I don't miss the 10.30. And, you know, it, it's, it, you know, things like reading your Bible. You, you're not going to go to hell because you missed a day. But, but it's, it's like nutrition. Like, uh, I, I'm a pretty fat guy. In fact, I've been going the wrong direction uh, in, the, in the past year. Uh, during my COVID time, I put on 10 pounds in a couple weeks because uh, I wasn't riding my bike anymore and all that. But um, I didn't get there without working at it. <laughs> Believe me, if, if you're, if you're uh, horizontally challenged or whatever, <laughs> got a pl- political correct way to say it, you know, uh, you, know you, work, you have to work at it. Um, and... Honestly, you know, Proverbs says good news puts fat on the bones. If you had a gift of discernment of spirits, where, which is a very wonderful gift. It had, like, honestly, when I meet people, I always know if they're saved or not saved. I know if they're baptized in the spirit or not baptized in the spirit. I often know what demonic spirits they're struggling with because that's, that's not unreality. Jesus walked that way. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, you can walk that way. And that, that's not unusual or crazy or anything. Uh, it actually should be more normal than we think it is. But, you know, sometimes you see people and they just look like the seven lean cows from Joseph's vision in the, in the book of Genesis. Uh, they're spiritually malnourished. Because they just haven't done you know, the, a systematic study of, of biblical things. And they're, they're, they're just bouncing around too much. So Romans 1, the first thing I, I want to stress is that the gospel is concerning his son. You need different, you need different measuring tools. You know, I used to be uh, a guy who remodeled expensive people's houses and, and all that kind of stuff. That's how I worked my way through grad school and that's how I developed champagne appetites with a beer budget. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's an old saying. But you need things like tape measures. You need levels. Uh, you need the right tools to evaluate. Scripture is the number one tool that you need to evaluate where you're at. And when you're, when you're involved in Christian things, ask yourself, is what I'm doing concerning his son? Is it about Jesus? Is it about religion? Or am I doing this because I think my pastor wants me to do it? Or don't get into that stuff. And don't put it on your pastor if you're doing it for that reason. That's because you're fearing man. Go to God and, and do the process we're going to talk about confess, Lord, I'm struggling with the fear of man. The Lord will help you with that once you admit it. 
The Lord can't, like, people get this idea. I, I understand we live in a culture that is, um, you know, a lot of you aren't old enough to remember the older George Bush, not W, but H, I guess. But, you know, he had this uh, saying that he, when he was running for president that people made a lot of fun of, where he was talking about wanting a kinder, gentler America. It's actually a pretty good saying. Uh, but the, the fact is, there's a lot of things in, in, in all kinds of Christian circles that are not very grace-based. And in uh, a lot of Christian thinking is like, God is mad at me and, and so forth. You've got to stop that. Like, that's step one. Like, at the starting point, you, you start with the God, Romans 1 talks about how the gospel that we have fled from the wrath of God. Guess what? If you've asked Jesus to come save you, God's not mad at you. And if you're thinking God's mad at you all the time, go back to the point I just made. <laughs> if you receive Jesus, God's not mad at you. And you got to put your foot down on the neck of that demonic spirit that says, God's mad at you. You're such a disappointment. You're... Until you shut that voice up, you'll never make step one progress in the Christian life. You got to shut up because the battle is in your mind and it gets down to who are you going to believe? Does God's word say that he's mad at you? No, God put all the wrath that our, that our sin deserves and that the world's sin deserves, he put that on his son at the cross. If you've never spent some time like reading, uh, there's, there's a the book I love called, uh, that's written by a doctor on a medical view of the cross and what, what Jesus went through. Uh, and he, he takes it from the Last Supper all the way through to his death. And, you know, the word excruciating has actually got the root of crucifix in it. The, the, uh, I remember one, one of the times when my back went out and I couldn't even stand up straight for like five days. I remember John Gray and another brother had to help me uh, get from upstairs to downstairs so I could sit, uh, sleep in a chair for like three or four or five weeks, and I had to set up a row of chairs from my chair to the bathroom and back so I could lean on the chairs as I'd made it to the bathroom. And I was taking, you know, like five times the recommended amount of Oxycontin, and, uh, you know, it, and it, it was excruciating. It was so intense of pain, and it was so wonderful because I read that book at that time because well, I was stuck in a chair with excruciating pain, so I had a good time to read a book. And I started, like, I started trying to imagine the depth of what it felt like when the nails went through his wrist, when they went through his foot, when the, the person who deserved the most admiration, love, and respect in the world was mocked and spit upon. spend some time like do the homework you know it's amazing to me how many Christians are are, are stuck at the beginning because they never do the homework do the reading to understand that that's so basic if you can think about what Jesus did on the cross and you don't get emotional there, that's a problem 
Now, again, that doesn't mean God hates you. or He wants to help you get to the point where you are asking God to help you grow in your appreciation for what he went through for us. And, you know, theologians like to say he would have done it if there was just you. And I think that's true. So, point one, the gospel is concerning his son. Romans 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. Key word, given. The reason I wanted Catherine to share at the beginning, and I actually was praying that, Mike, Michael, don't leave just yet, unless you're really going to go, because I was actually going to talk about you for a minute. And uh, it'll just take a minute. And Sam Gower-Strand. Both of these guys... Uh, Sam, Sam and I went to Panera to have a, to have a Bible, Bible study. A Bible study. A ben, a ben, we were studying at Bible, whatever that is. He's a scientist. He, he was telling me about Bibles. No, but uh, anyway. Um, and, you know, uh, Sam be, begins to proceed to tell me that he came to understand at a certain point that the baptism and the Spirit speaking in tongues, all this stuff, that it was from God. And so he knew we believed in it. So he just, he just no one told him to do this. He, he did the homework. Amazing. He grabbed a book called The Holy Spirit and You by Dennis and Rita Bennett, which is one of our four or five most recommended books on, on you know, baptism and spirit. I don't know if he finished the book before this happened, but he got wonderfully baptized in the spirit. And, I, and, and you know, Sam has a great way of putting things. He was like, when, when he's talking about speaking in tongues and stuff, he was like, it's really cool, or something like that. You know, like, you know and then Michael, uh, similar thing. Like, he's, uh, Jesse had already gone to bed. They were married, what, month, two, three months, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, he's about to go to bed, and he felt the Lord prompt him, don't go to bed till you spend some time with me. So he decided to obey that sense. You know, people always look, well, how do I know it's from God? God, if it's, the enemy will never encourage you to take steps towards seeking God. <laughs> Gee, you know, uh, I wonder if it's Satan telling me I should read my Bible and talk, talk to Jesus. And, you know, he just obeyed what the sense he had was in God wonderfully baptized him in the Holy Spirit. Now you can go the restroom or whatever you need to do. Now that I, but here's what I, with Catherine's story, and then mine's the same. Um, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was still doing drugs every day. I probably had had, in the last six years before I got baptized in the Spirit, I'd probably had four or five days that I wasn't high. And that was only because every once in a while we ran out of drugs and had to spend a day finding drugs. Or, you know, and uh, I used to say, if we're not addicted, why when we run out of drugs do we spend all, 100% of the time looking for drugs? Jennifer's like, yeah, you, he's, no, she knows that one. <laughs> so, you know, drug, druggies have this thing that they're not addicted Addicted people always have this thing that they're not addicted. It's one of the characteristics of addiction, is you don't think you're addicted. 
Um, so, um, the Holy Spirit is given everything. Here's what I, here's what I understand. When you, when you, if you're really a born-again Christian, you should look at, we have a teaching called the five vital signs of life. And you should read that teaching and ask yourself, do I have these things inside myself? If you do, then don't doubt that you're born again by the Spirit of God. Because no one can say Jesus is Lord. Do you have thoughts all the time like, I'd like to be a better Christian and not sin so much? Then Christ is in you. Your sinful nature is not thinking, I'd like to be a better Christian. <laughs> I, my sinful nature is thinking, don't forget the bacon on my cheeseburger. <laughs> Thank, go to make me a cheeseburger last night with bacon. Um, so, the Holy Spirit is given, and he's given a... Uh, to, to re- redeem you in the first place, and then through, the, through getting baptized in the Spirit, you're empowered to grow, to be, re- to be more easily refilled, and so forth, and, to, and for ministry and all kinds of reasons. We're not going to do a whole thing about that part of the Holy Spirit today. But when it says the love of God has been poured out in our heart, now, does that mean God's love for us like what's been poured out is how much you know God loves you. Or does that mean we love God more? As far as I can tell, and I am open to being corrected by a better Greek scholar because I'm a hack at it, but I try and so forth. As far as I understand, the Greek is ambivalent intentionally because it's meant to be like a reciprocal thing. How much we know God loves us Every time we touch the Holy Spirit, we should get a deposit of knowing God loves that. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, all, you know, people go, well, I had a bad dad. And so I get to it. Your, your bad dad was named Adam. And all people apart from Christ have a sense of insecurity, low self-esteem, rejection, uh, fear of rejection, self-hatred, self-loathing, and all the things that are involved with not being saved. And you know what? Everyone has that. Now, different, most people, we're going to talk about a wounded spirit hopefully today. Uh, I hope you don't mind that I'm going to go over because if you get this, it'll be worth it. And I'm not even going to charge you extra. But... uh, the, so, everyone has a, a, a wounded spirit. Everyone has a spirit that's alienated from God apart from coming to Christ. And, you, and, you know, it, Christianity has nothing to do with philosophies and religions. It has to do with a relationship with the real God, the only God that made the heavens and the earth, and the only God that, that you, you were shaped to have a God-shaped vacuum in your life that will never be filled apart from a deep, intense fellowship with the living God. And God loves you so much that he will let a lot of things in your life not work 
as a way of, of drawing you to himself. That's why, the, you know, Romans, Romans, Matthew 5, at the beginning of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 3, the very first one, so our, everything starts here. You know, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, the foundational th- uh, teaching for what it means to be a follower of Christ. And the very first beatitude is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven in Matthew. Now, the, the greatest thing God can ever do for you is to open up your eyes to your spiritual poverty. People who are able to fake it that they have it together... And some rich people can do that. Some famous people can do that. So, you know, people can, can deceive themselves into thinking they're not all that messed up or their life isn't all that empty. Or they can avoid the issue by staying high all the time or just watching television forever to, you know, like the, the killing, you know, like Howard Beale is talking about the television as we're in the boredom killing business. You know, uh, it's amazing how much of our culture is just people trying to escape reality. Almost everything in our culture is about that. Video games. It's just people trying to avoid. That's why, uh, oh man, I wish I could remember who said this. Very famous philosopher said, you know, um, one of the greatest truths about people is people cannot stand to be in a room by themselves with no electronic devices or books or anything. They can't. Try just sitting in a room and practicing the old Christian discipline called solitude. Just spend a few hours with God and no, and no electronic devices. Because you'll begin to, you'll, for the first time, you'll begin to get in touch with what's deep inside your spirit and the awesome loneliness and everything else that only God can fill. Next verse, there is therefore now no condemnation. Listen, you've got to think about what condemnation is. Do the homework. Understand when you're feeling condemnation and what it is. Conviction will be a very positive challenge about one or two things. Condemnation is a general vague, I'm just a piece of slime, I'm dumb as dog, um, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm just worthless, uh, you, you know, and God's done with me because I've been failing since I was three. Con- condemnation is a very, you, you've got to get this. Like, if you don't understand this, then don't let get to come back next Sunday without understanding this. Condemnation is the ultimate pride. Because condemnation is about self-salvation. It's the ultimate religious approach to God instead of grace-based approach. Condemnation is when you're saying, I should have done better myself. When you understand that there's no good thing that dwells in you, and you, that anything good from God came to you was given, by, given as the verse was. The Holy Spirit was given. Your salvation was given. You were chosen. Why? I don't know why. 
You know, people come to the pastor and I think he's going to know all the answers. Why did God choose me? I don't know. <laughs> A weird thing is he chose me too and, and he doesn't make mistakes. Even though our first temptation as a Christian is to think, boy, he must have made a mistake when he picked me up, right? Anyone ever had that thought? Well, that's not a thought from God. He didn't make a mistake. He chose you before the foundations of the world. And he, he, he brought you here from halfway across the world to hear the gospel or whatever. It's amazing the things God does to orchestrate uh, his calling you. But guess what? You, let, let's say you grew up and you were repeatedly raped by your father. Let's say you were grown up and you were beaten up uh, by school teachers and parents and, and everything like that. Let's say you grew up and you had no education. You grew up and you were often hungry. You grew up and you were paralyzed and so forth. If you're in Jesus Christ, you are one of the most favored, fortunate, blessed people who's ever been in, on this planet. If you haven't ever seen the, the movie The Robe, an old, back in the epic Hollywood days, 50s, Technicolor, all that, big screen. Um, you know, there's this scene of this lady who's gnarled, and uh, she, she's like, she can't stand up. She's laying on a mat. She's, uh, her body is all twisted, and uh, she's from Cana of Galilee. And the guy who's looking for the robe goes back to Cana, and Peter just happens to be there and the you know, it's fictional, but this is after the resurrection. And all these people are sharing about how Christ came in and healed their, their life when, when he was living. And so this Roman soldier who's an unbeliever, Richard Burton, I think, right? Uh, he, uh, he asked this young lady, why didn't he heal you? And whenever they get together to worship, they bring her out on this... Uh, uh, what do you, I don't know, what would you call it? Like a, a, a pallet or what, you know, like a, a cot, you know, the thing that you uh, take people away on. Gurney, yeah, something like that, thank you. So, um, and she's all, her body is all twisted and she proceeds to lead the worship. And she has this sweet, just adorable love for God. And uh, he, he, so the Roman soldiers, why didn't he heal you? And she said, oh, but he did. Before he came, I was all bitter. And now, you know, I, now I see how blessed I am in him. It's never like, people always say things like, you know, how are you doing? Oh, fine, under the circumstances. What are you doing under the circumstances? You're, you're not supposed to live there as a Christian. If you have the meanest boss, there, there's a good reason for it. Like, God, maybe, maybe you're going to be the instrument. Your prayers are going to lead that person to Christ. You, 
you, you, you really, really have to be, uh, begin to understand uh, the grace of God. In condemnation is, is the ultimate fleshly religious, I should have done better myself. No, you shouldn't. You should have been a porn addict, drug addict, killer, serial killer, uh, pious, religious, self-righteous person who likes to make loud, pretentious prayers so you can, and you, you always want to lead the worship so everyone will think you're spiritual and every other bad motivation and attitude someone can have. That's what you are apart from Christ. And until you realize that, you, you're, you haven't really gone through the door of the gospel. You know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate because I'm, I'm the pastor of some of the most sick, immoral, uh, sinful, sons of blankety-blanks that has ever lived, <laughs> who've been redeemed by grace. And if you think just because you didn't kill as many people as the next person, you, you don't get it. That's why I love testimonies like Melody Osborne's, who, uh, you know, the first time she, she, I was talking to her about how she came to Christ, she basically, you know, says, well, I grew up in this religious family and I thought I was Christian. And then all of a sudden, one time, God began to deal with her that she was more the, the publican, or more the Pharisee than the publican. Some religious people are the most wicked people you'd ever want to meet. Nothing is worse than a, than a person, a pious kind of self-righteous person whose who's, uh, sense of godliness is not based on grace. It, it's worse than diarrhea. I mean, it, I don't know how to describe how filthy it is. Until you can kind of begin to understand, no good thing dwelt in you, and that's when he chose you. He chose you, like the, the Bible actually compares our pre-Christian state to excrement, to menstrual rags, to cadavers, to manure. And yet we want to like, oh, I grew up Christian. I've been like a nice Christian all my life. Oh, brother. Go out and smoke some pot. No. <laughs> Don't do that. That won't bring you closer to God either. So, let's keep moving. The next thing I want to say where it says, if you do not have the spirit of Christ and the shooting of the Christ. So, uh, where's the down in verse 12 and 13 all the way to 16 Abba Father you really need to digest some of that that whole passage in Romans chapter 8 is the whole chapter is so good about the spirit and about the spirit applying our salvation by the spirit putting the death the deeds of the body all this kind of stuff which is the only way we can do it by the way you know there are people who out of self effort and discipline can quit smoking or quit gluttony. I don't know how, but... Uh, <laughs> but, you know, there are people who can quit drinking. Some people can achieve, like, a checkoff list of got my bachelor's, got my master's, did the, you know. You, you, you can do supposedly some sort of good things, 
but you do them for all the wrong reasons and they're dead works apart from Christ. They're of no value. The, the truth of the matter is only transformation by the Spirit of God brings about anything that's godly righteousness. So one, one of the things I, I want to talk about is that where it says the Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that there were children of God. So I'm going to try to talk about a problem that I see a lot. In American Christianity, we have two extremes all the time. And what God has created is God has created what I call divine tensions. Things that on the surface seem to be uh, antithetical or seem to be paradoxical, but understood through Christ, they're not antithetical. So what a lot of people do is they're in a type of Christianity that's very, uh, see you on Sunday, and you're kind of on your own. You know, it's all about the experiences you've had, and no one has ever taught me or discipled me, or, you know, and I got all this spirituality in myself and so forth. And then that doesn't really work very well, so eventually they come to discover Christian community. And then, you know, I, I actually got an email from someone who was accusing me of not saving them enough. Uh, although they didn't say it that clearly, it was much more cam- manipulative and camouflage. But it's like, you're not saving me enough. You know, uh, I have a saying that uh, you're, you're, you are your own best doctor. So in terms of salvation, when God's drawing you, on one level, he's calling you to put in the effort. And again, free gifts of grace are not opposed to effort of receiving them. It's like you get this wonderful Christian uh, Christmas present, but it has to be unwrapped. And then you get, you're all excited to get it unwrapped, and it's just the thing you've been wanting, and it says, some assembly required. <laughs> and then you call Bradbury because it's going to take four people to help you figure out how to put it together, you know. But it was free. You know, the person who gave it to me didn't charge me, but there was some work required to get the benefit. And so to, to grow in grace uh, is initiated by God But we actually have to receive that initiation and be motivated to study, pray, whatever. So now, when some people discover that, and they they leave the body of Christ out of the picture. You know, I can think of more than a half dozen people who were not here today because they're involved in a spiritual warfare in their mind, and and they're not here today, not because the Lord wanted them not to be here today, because they're not here today. And and they're missing out on a blessing. So learning how to walk right relationally, like I never miss worship or or uh, something like that, because you know I'm having a tiff with Teresa. I love Teresa. She's a wonderful person. She's even a person I have fought with about things because if you have any kind of depth of relationship, you're going to have some fights and disagreements, and we've argued about a few subjects over working together on projects or whatever. But you know what? 
she's not important enough for me to miss out on worship. <laughs> Nor am I important enough for her to miss out on worship. And sometimes we might even have to say, listen, uh, we've been working on this. We're, we haven't figured it out. Let's talk again on Tuesday. We're, gonna, we're committed to each other. We're going to get it figured out. So let's just go forward and serve the Lord. And uh, we don't have to agree about every little thing anyway. The Spirit of God bears witness that we are children. Combine that with the, when Jesus got baptized in the Holy Spirit, what did God the Father say audibly? And where does it come from? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, the Hebrew really means in whom I, I take great delight. Listen, if you don't feel deep on the inside that God takes great delight in you, then start by telling God you don't feel that and get a plan to work on that. Because that's where condemnation, that's where it all starts. You have to believe this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. When, you know, when God looks down on Kyle, he doesn't look at whether he did his math homework or not. You know, he looks at this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. And he doesn't look at us through any, through any particular sin that you're struggling with or uh, any of that. That's, that's like, don't let on, listen, everybody has ongoing besetting sins. I wear some of the credentials for mine right here. You know, I'm, I'm wearing actually this particular sport coat today and this particular shirt and this particular pair of pants because I've gained 20 pounds this year, and they're the biggest ones I have. <laughs> if I, I'm going to have to buy new clothes if I don't lose weight this week. So, I, so my wife, so uh, believe me, I'll be losing some weight this week. <laughs> it's called Catherine's Government, which is similar to the kingdom of God. And it's a part of it. So, um, when all else fails, try fasting. So, anyway, listen, um, everybody needs to, part, part of the purpose of being baptized in the Spirit, the reason we have sozo, if you don't know what sozo is, see Amber, ask her. If you spend two months preparing for a sozo, that would be fine. We don't like to do the sozos until people are baptized in the Spirit. So if you're not, but sozo has a lot to do with the things that are blocking you from being able to hear, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Because that is God's posture towards you. Now, to get it so that's how you feel versus that's the objective scriptural truth takes things like faithfulness and then and not missing meetings and, and daily seeking the Lord. And, you know, when, when you're trying to work on this stuff, don't, like, you know, have a meeting with your discipler and, and expect him to come up with a plan for you. Seek the Lord. Write, do some journaling. Write some notes. Memorize some scriptures. But, you know, how, but how you use the body of Christ. May, you know, like I go to Anvesh and I say, Invest. these are the things that I, that I wrote down when I was seeking the Lord. Uh, here's how I'm thinking about this. I think God wants to help me this way, that way. Am I thinking straight here? 
And I, and I, there, there's, there's probably, I don't know, at least a dozen people in this church that I use like that all the time. Catherine, Josiah, Teresa, Roseanne Brown, Anvesh, Sam Chen Sing Poon. There's people like, Amber, what do you think about this? I ask Amber what she thinks about everything from my teachings to other my tie matches. You know, <laughs> you know but I, you know, I don't expect Amber to come over and pick out my wardrobe. You know, so there's, what I'm saying here is learn the balance between walking with God and being inter, inextricably intertwined. Don't be, don't be dependent, but be interdependent. We need a dependency on God. But dependency on God is not my expecting John Gray to save me. And I don't expect John Gray to come up with a plan for my obesity. But because John Gray's a nurse and he knows a few things about health and nutrition, I might go to John Gray and say, you know, I've been reading this diet or that diet and I've been thinking about making this change or that change. What do you think? And if you don't do both of those things, you're just not getting how to live. All right, so Romans 12. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. I'm going to try to get through a few more concepts, even, so it's, so it's, even though it's so late. Sorry to the Bradbury's with their kids. But normally we, don't, normally we don't have this view of kids since the kids are all at the Gray's house today. Let me talk about conform versus transform. Romans 12, uh, of course, comes at the end of... It's at the, Romans 12 is the beginning of what we said was the meat, right? Uh, how to live this out. Based on what he said in the first 11 chapters, that's why Romans 12, 1, the first verse, the first word is, therefore. And whenever you see a therefore, find out what it's there for. It's therefore, whatever just preceded it, and in this case, 11 chapters is what preceded it. Therefore, as a result of all these great gospel truths, do not be conformed to this world. Let me tell you about conformed. One time my brother went to a Pink Floyd concert. Uh, needless to say, that was back in the early 70s and uh, he and his friends were a bit altered in their states of consciousness. And uh, therefore, when the car got home, it had a dent in the back bumper that was you know, perfectly round, about this big, about this deep, and so forth. And so my brother proceeded to try to pull one that I had done, like I, I had gotten in this accident, and I had told my parents I parked the car at, at the uh, grocery store, and somebody sideswiped me while I was in buying groceries, and, and uh, you know, rather than tell them the truth. Uh, we weren't Christians. We, we didn't have much value for truth. But uh, so he tells my parents that at the concert, somebody backed into the car. And then I have a knucklehead friend that lived down the street who I won't name in case he's still on the planet somewhere. Uh, so he he's, uh, he's comes down to our house and he's chatting with my mother and he's like, Mrs. Weiss, who backed into the telephone pole? And Mrs. Weiss says, oh no, Mike got hit by someone else, like where he was parked, someone backed in the car. He's, and this guy, uh, we'll just say M-E, that was his initials. Me, uh, not me. But uh, 
he goes, no, Mrs. Weiss, look at this. It's exactly the size and shape of a telephone pole. This, this was conformed to a telephone pole. You know, and so the next thing you hear is like, Mike, you know, like, and uh, he, my brother was in big trouble because he got caught in his lie because he, you know, it was, it was a, not a good one to begin with. He, he, he needed some discipleship. <laughs> That's what conformed is. Like so many people do stuff because you, the way your parents did stuff, the way uh, you're, you, you know, like, like some people spend way too much time intertwined with this culture. In other words, you spend too much time watching TV and taking in ads and, and you, don't, you don't spend, you're being, you let yourself be conformed. You know, your cigarettes tell you what to do. You're, don't be conformed to this world. You don't have to dress the way they say to dress. Dress the way God wants you to dress, which in some cases might be more modest or whatever. Or you, you know, like you don't have to have, you don't have to have the world's values. If you're gonna, if you're gonna go to college, get a graduate degree, hopefully you're doing it for whole different reasons than the worldly people are doing it. To please a whole different master. Let me tell you, the Christian life led to please other people is a real drag. You just, you just can't go there. One of the greatest compliments I ever got my, uh, when I was selling equipment financing back in the 90s, my dear old boss called me into his office one day and he was a bit perturbed at me. and He, he said, Greg... You know, your problem is you just don't care what anyone else thinks. And I'm like, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm not sure I live up to that compliment, but that's the nicest thing anyone ever said. Like, how do you really, so many people are conformed, really do things because of what other people think. Do things because of what God thinks. And to, know, to do that, you have to know his spirit intimately and his word thoroughly. That's one of the things I'm most proud about Josiah with. Like, Josiah was a good Christian in many ways when I, when I first met him. But once he began to understand some things about the, the tools of grace that were available, he just put in the work to get them. And he grew by leaps and bounds. And that's why I love hearing him teach, because he, he's so insightful about how to make progress. Romans 12, when it's talking about conformed, transformed. Transform is the Greek word metamorphumai. And it's the same word we get metamorphosis. And it's the, it's the process that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly. And I don't know how amazing you think that is, but I hope you th know it's amazing enough that it's like, wow. You know, I used to be a druggie, so I, wow, man. <laughs> You know, it, it's like, wow, God, like, how does a caterpillar become a butterfly? How does, you know, you, me, brother A, sister C, letter D, whatever, how does God take us, being the piece of toast that we are, 
and make us his sons and daughters who are really becoming more and more like him and who are filled with his grace to extend to others. Back on the whole thing of how to walk with the body of Christ. and Again, one of the ways that you have to seek the Lord first. You really do. Read, read the right books. Memorize the right scriptures. But, but make sure you're always sharing your thinking with people who have proven fruit. Not, you know, we have a, one of the things that's very rampant in our culture today is we have this idea that everybody's opinion is equal. And of course, there's that worldly saying, opinions are like everybody has one. It really is a matter of importance whose opinion you're talking about. If somebody is mature or fruitful, guess, guess what? One of the ways you'll know is other mature and fruitful people say they are. Nobody is mature and fruitful by themselves. People who are too on the, out on their own in terms of how they walk with the body of Christ never get mature and fruitful. They always get tossed in, to and fro. And, and the, their problem sets, like what happens is people will let their problem sets keep them from getting very involved. You know, I, I always find it amazing that certain people don't go to the Alpha course or, you know, the, whatever. Whatever the church is doing, they don't do enough of, enough of it with them. And it's amazing how those people never grow up. They don't. And it's the people who have the right mix of seeking God first and, and, uh, and always working. You have to work at not having an idol out of what the other people in the church think. But you also have to work at using the other people in the church as a resource. Don't be just doing what you're doing because you think it's good. You know, I've, been, uh, I've, I've made a little progress in the Christian life and I've had a little fruit. I think I've, I think I've realistically led about a thousand people to Christ in my life. And uh, I'm 47 years into this and guess what? I have two pastors and several other friends who are pastors who I consult all the time. And I have uh, most of the people on our leadership team are people who I uh, consult. Sometimes I'm trying to get their opinion. They don't even know I'm trying to get their opinion. I'm just having a discussion about what we should do or this and that because I don't really know what we should do until I hear their opinions. No, I, I, I don't have enough knowledge or wisdom to do this without proper teamwork. And let me guarantee you, if you're too isolated, you're probably, not, you, you're probably a lot less spiritually mature than you think you are. All right, so let's move on here. Uh, do not, all right, so see where it says note. Do not think, believe what the word of God does not say. Do not confess self-criticism, negativity, critical spirits toward others or toward yourself. Don't unkindness, self-deprecation, or other anointed words from the destroyer. There's one of the, study the names of Satan if you haven't sometime. What, he's called the destroyer. And Apollyon, I think, is, is, means destroyer, right? 
uh, from Revelation 12 and so forth. So the fact is, if it's destructive, it's amazing how many uh, marriages speak destructive things toward each other. It's amazing how many brothers and sisters in Christ speak destructive things toward each other. Calling something sin or whatever is a necessary step. Uh, so, um, like in Proverbs it says, he who confesses and forsakes his sin will find grace. The, f- the first thing you have to do with all these things like condemnation and, and so forth, the first thing you have to do is recognize it. I, look, I, I'm, in fact, I'm going to go right to my end of the thing. I, I want to talk about this. Um, most people today, not everyone, um, and I, I would go so far as to say this. When I first started casting out demons and, and studying counseling and helping people grow and get their life together and stuff uh, in, the, in the late 60s and the 70s and things like that, um, I, I would estimate that we probably had a culture where about one-third of the people had deep problems with self-rejection, wounded spirits, uh, insecurities, and that kind of thing. Because the late 60s gave us the sexual revolution and we got no-fault divorce in 1971, and we're now in the fourth generation of easy divorce, and what's happened in the Christian culture is the megachurch movement has caused Christianity to become more and more shallow so that there's families... But, there, but very few churches that I've seen uh, have any significant percentage of the marriages are healthy marriages. In other words, most churches I've, that I've had a relationship with and known, um, probably 60, 70% of the marriages are, have deep problems that aren't being addressed. And so kid, kids are growing up in this, and it's getting generationally worse. And so today, uh, you know, when we started this church, a lot of it had to do with um, I had coached an inner city baseball team for four years in the 90s. I'm going to wrap up soon. Uh, Just bear with me. And the kids are no problem to me. They don't bother me, so they can cry or laugh or whatever they want to do, as long as they don't hurt anybody. But uh, (laughs) so... um, um, you know, I had coached this inner city baseball team and it had broken my heart for some, some of the things that kids are up against nowadays. But what surprised me after we start, started this church was how many of the broken people that God brought us grew up with marriages that their parents were Christian, that lived in three hundred dollars to $500,000 houses, um, that went to Christian schools, and they were severely broken people. And for a long time, I wrestled in the early years of this church. Is because, of, you know, because I went through some deep experiences of failure in 1991. And, and the whole process for me of going through the counseling and all that. It kind of, by 2003 and four, I had gotten significantly better in helping broken people get their life put back together. And we became quite good at it by the grace of God. I began to wonder, like, you know, we were targeting just inner city broken people, and every person that God sends us seems to be broken. And at first I thought it was just because 
maybe, you know, God is saying we have somewhat of a special calling for this. But, but I began to struggle with this idea and didn't, I, I talked to my pastors and smart leader Christians about it. But I, it took me five years to be sure of this. But what, what it really is, is we're now in a culture where everything is broken. I don't know if you know who the secular uh, humanistic prophet uh, Bob Dylan is, but Bob Dylan had a Christian phase where he wrote two very insightful Christian albums. The mega church pastors that had helped him come to Christ and had discipled him ended up having a big financial scandal and a, and a sexual affair and all this kind of stuff. He got super disillusioned about the whole mega church thing and uh, you know, as some of you have had experiences with uh, family members that were pastors in the mega church that quit it all because it's, it's worthless stuff. It's, it's, it's sad, really. Um, the fruit's bad. And so uh, on his way out of Christianity, Bob Dylan wrote a, a, a kind of a, an album where he went back to his Jewish roots and I, is it the album called Ring Them Bells? And he writes a song that's a, that's a correction to Christianity, to the church. And it's called Ring Them Bells. And he's, he's basically telling the church, you really got to get your act together and become the church again. And, he, and it, it's a very insightful song. And, uh, you know, one, one of the lines... I, I actually preached on this for... Uh, uh, seven hours once. <laughs> My longest message. We did take a 15-minute break for snacks. But, uh, and there was a bunch of leaders that had been invited to a seven-hour teaching. Uh, they knew it was going to be long. But I basically, uh, I did a, uh, a whole teaching on the, the failure of Protestant Christianity uh, in our culture. And, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is we're in a situation where everything is broken, including the church. And the first step of, if we are going to, we have this dream as a culture, Deanna wrote a, my favorite song about it, Isaiah 58, 12. Jesus, restore the, you should probably play that during the communion today, actually. No, you should. Um, so, um, if we're going to have this dream, let me, let me tell you this. Here, here's the step we're missing. If you have to become unbroken. It begins with John Luke and Samoante and Kyle and Deanna and Jane and Golda and Sindhu and Caleb. You have to become the answer. And as I've tried to appeal to us in the past, I wish you studied as much about all the movements that are out there as I do. Because you need to understand, no one else is coming. And what scares me for us is who's given, given much, much shall be required. And we really, really, really need to hear what we're talking about today. We need, like you can live as a mature Christian and you can get there relatively quickly. But you've got to shut the door to things like to living out of this wounded spirit. 
So I'm going to give it, end with just giving us like five, seven steps to get out of a wounded spirit. First, identify it. This, you know, like identify that you're wounded. And that it's a lot deeper than your dad was abusive. Second is a, is a A and a B, two A and two B and C. Confess it. So by that I mean tell God about it. Don't try to act like you're spiritual. Some guys want to live in the single house and be the most spiritual brother, and they're just not. Confess your shortcomings. I, the reason I stand up here and make fun of being fat and stuff like that, I want you to understand, we all have the same enemy. Your enemy is your sin nature. And, and there's abundant grace to live a, in a fruitful, mature Christian life above it. You won't overcome every problem, but you can become filled with the Spirit, filled with counsel, filled with wisdom, uh, able to lead people to Christ. There's, there's a couple people, I'm not going to say who they are in our church, that I honestly believe they're going to become very effective evangelistically. We have a couple people that are, but God wants us to have 30 people that are. And it takes, there's like, if you, like make a plan to get there, then share it with some leaders and, and, and then reevaluate it at least two or three times a year. How am I getting there? So, so many people, when they meet with you, they just want to emote about their current whatever they're upset about, and they never step back and kind of get a plan to grow up in the Lord. They don't journal or write it down or put a, together a list of books they're going to read or, or nothing. They're just going to be the same old, same old. And, and honestly, I see people who are wrestling with the same things three and five and seven years later, and it's not supposed to be that way. By the time you're three and five and seven years old in the Lord, you should be able to begin to be, make major differences in people's lives. If they come visit your, your single apartment or your household, they should be, I want to live like you guys live. A lot of you know Eric Meyer's testimony. That's how he got saved. But he got saved because some, some brothers that invited more for dinner were having a conflict in their single household, and he was so impressed by the maturity of how they worked it out that he said, these guys are the guys I want to live with and be with. And guess what? It was our household that was known for the least spiritual of our brother's households. It wasn't our leader's house. It was a bunch of new guys that had been, you know, that were struggling to get it together. They'd only been at it for a year or so. And that's how it's meant to be. You know, confess, confess whatever your shortcomings are. Now, don't tell the whole church, but don't tell no one either. You have to find the right healthy people to tell. That's why we have disciplers that are recognized as such, because we tend to think they're probably ready for this. Not always right about that kind of thing. But uh, don't tell everyone everything, but have some people that you do walk in the light with. That's confess it, 
then repent of it. That means get a plan to change. Repent always brings forth fruit. We have a teaching called Eight Definitions About Repentance. Make sure you know that basic beginning teaching thoroughly. Then renounce it. Don't let yourself be in a situation where illegal relationships or, you know, so many people have things where they, you know, I've known guys that had a problem with an abusive father or something. And they set themselves back for years by continuing to have this relationship with this abusive father. Some, you know what? Sometimes you may need to leave some relationships permanently. Permanently. You really do. And you know what? Think about it. Write it down. Put, and, and then get some wise counsel about it. But don't just go to Anvesh and say, Anvesh, tell me what to do. Because he'll, he'll be, uh, hopefully he'll go, did you pray about it? <laughs> That's what, right? And then come back to me when you do. Uh, three, start with thanksgiving and praise out loud. It's the antidote to people who are self-critical, negative, critical spirits toward. You can't, that's what James is talking about in James 3. With our tongue, we bless God and we criticize people. You can't praise God and criticize. Some people criticize themselves so much. Don't let your mouth be an avenue for, for demonic spirits criticizing. Because you know what? You're rejecting the work of who God says you are. God does not see you through all that negativity. And don't let that stuff come out of your mouth. Now, the reason, now, if, if you get nothing else today, get this. The reason, there's three reasons I always say that you got to start with thanksgiving and praise. If you don't understand that, write down, study today, Psalm 95, Psalm 100. In Psalm 100, look for seven action verbs. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and so forth. The reason praise is so important is it's a necessary prerequisite to staying filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't be criticizing that I'm just a jerk. and that I, You can't be doing that and worshiping the Lord at the same time. Learn to praise by yourself out loud. Instead of harboring all this negativity. These are basic things. I just decided we need to hear it more clearly. I'm probably going to teach this same message again in a few weeks. Because we need to hear it a hundred times till we start to get here. Be, number two. Um, what, I mean, number two reason of the starting with Thanksgiving and praise. The first, so A, A under starting, number three was starting with thanksgiving and praise. A, because you're filled with the Holy Spirit when you do it. B, because you need to repeat steps one, two, and three every day. Re- re- confession, repentance, draw, humbling yourself. Confession is humbling. Humbling yourself and clothing yourself with the power of, of the risen Christ is a thing you have to start with every day. 
you know, I'll tell you, like, if you want to know about all my spirituality, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you this very clearly. I got nothing. I got nothing. It's all in him. I don't even have enough spiritual stuff going on to get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. So, uh, point C of why to worship uh, is because it'll help you be led and empowered by the Spirit of God. Now, step four is actually very tied into the praise idea. When you start with thanksgiving and praise, you're posturing your heart toward believing in the sovereignty of God. Instead of believing all the negativity, uh, believe what I call the three-legged stool. Number one, God loves you. You wouldn't be in this meeting. You would have you then stayed till one o'clock if you weren't called by the Spirit of God. Either that or you're dr- drunk or something. But, you know, like you wouldn't be here. If God didn't, God wants to put you so together that people actually think like, I'm having this problem. I know what I need to do. I need to go find what Melody Osborne thinks about it. And I'm not just talking about people in the church. I'm talking about people, there, there are, you know, I, I have certain unbelievers in my life who come to me when they're in, in trouble. More than the Christians often. The three-legged stool that you've got to memorize and you've got to live with this reality all the time is that God loves you. It's settled. Like, you have to understand, Jacob I loved, or uh, yeah, Esau I hated, right? You know what? This, this whole uh, humanistic, we're all God's children. That's not nonsense. God's children are God's children. And if God has drawn you through Christ into himself, he loves you even when you're sinning. Even when you forgot to read your Bible or anything else you're down on yourself about. And if you begin to believe he loves you, you won't miss reading your Bible. Because we love because he first loved us. When you start to believe in God's love, you, you won't have trouble doing all the Christian stuff like quit skipping the meetings and Stuff like that. You'll want to be there. You know, I remember when I was first worshiping the Lord, uh, I was 17, and most of the Christians I knew were 25 to 70. And, you know, we'd be over their house worshiping or something, and, you know, they'd have to eventually go, like, Greg, we know you want to ask more questions about God and sing a few more songs, but it's 2 in the morning, and we have real jobs. You know, like, you won't be the kind of person that misses two out of four Sundays. Or you won't be the kind of person who reads your Bible two out of four Sundays or two out of four weeks. Or you you love because love is something you do active. You know, Catherine and I have gotten into be where we, you know, nice old people love to live together. <laughs> and, and uh, like, we're always doing little stuff for each other because that's what you do. 
It's one of the reasons it's so great to have Golda around the house. Golda's always doing stuff for us. And not because she has to, because she loves us, and we love her. Uh, the, th- the three-legged stool, God is love. Secondly, he's sovereign. That means you have that lousy job because he loves you so much. You know, you have that crummy roommate because he loves you. You have that difficult marriage because he loves you. And God chooses different vehicles for everyone. You have different set of circumstances than someone else, but those circumstances are the one you need to encounter Christ in, in, in the fellowship of his sufferings and to grow up into all the great aspects of Christ. And if you ever start doubting that, you'll crash in the Christian life. You'll never get anywhere. He loves you, and he's in control. He can take you out of this job, put you in that job. He can cause you to win the lottery, even though I've never bought a ticket, uh, or I wouldn't even know how to buy a ticket, to be honest. Uh, So, But I could win. Someone could just come up and give me a ticket. I don't know. Like, if God wants to do something, he can do whatever he wants. So... Thirdly, he is able. I guess I just said that. Like so many people think, I don't know if God will ever help me get over this stuff. Stop thinking that demonic thought. Understand the warfare is in your brain. That's why you memorize scripture. That's like it transforms what you think about if you get in the spirit regularly and often. And that begins by you speaking in tongues as part of that, but out loud thanksgiving and praise and worship, you can't be depressed while you're worshiping. Uh, Okay, that's number four. Number five, uh, partner with God's church. We've already said enough about that, I think. Sixthly, build and maintain frameworks. Some, I, I watch people get, get nowhere, and I, it's amazing. They always have very little in terms of spiritual frameworks. Things like not missing meetings, things like uh, having a discipler and, and get, get very firm about, like, you don't go see your discipler just because you have an itch and you're not feeling good. You spend time with the Lord and you work your plan and, and then you, you know, you go, like, I never went and spent time with my, with my shepherd or my pastor that I didn't spend two or three hours uh, seeking the Lord ahead of time and making notes and writing down the questions I was going to ask and creating a sheet where I left myself enough space underneath the questions to write down his answers so I could go back and pray about them some more. One of them was I was getting frustrated that I was 23 or so years old and, and, uh, you know, that I had known all the girls in the fellowship for like seven years and I didn't see any of them as a possible person to marriage. And my pastor actually said, have you ever thought about Kathy Fickthorn? <laughs> and so I said, you got to be kidding. <laughs> you know, and uh, she hates me. And uh, <laughs> well, she did, actually. She thought I was pretty obnoxious. And, uh, but, you know, I always, I always tell people, pray, like, don't make it about you. Pray that God will turn her heart toward you 
if she's the right one, and that God will turn her heart away from you if she's not the right one, and vice versa. Ladies, pray the guy wouldn't be interested in you if, he's, if he would be a bad choice for you. Because if you, wanna, if, you have, if you have the wrong person in mind, you just train wreck the whole thing. Marrying the wrong person and marrying before you get through all this stuff. Like there's a basic level of getting through this stuff that makes you ready for family. And don't, don't skip the steps. Don't go right to the goal line without the process first. Number seven, imitate those, Hebrews 6, 11, and 12. Hebrews 6, 11, and 12. Imitate those who faith and patience uh, and, and, you know, uh, obtain the promises. You know, that's why in Hebrews 13, it says, consider those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. Let, let, me, let me tell you quite honestly, there, there's two people that I'm thinking of right now in this room. One is John Gray and one is Josiah. I, both of these guys, I've had experiences where I, in thinking about my relationship with them, I realize I will be a better Christian, more how God wants me to be, if I become more like them in a particular strong area. Each of them has had a couple areas of their walk with God that I thought was better than my walk with God in that particular area. And so I sought grace to become more like them in that way. Right? And I could say that about other people in our church. I mean, Catherine is, I've had a lifetime of, if I could be a little bit more like Catherine, I'd be more mature. You know, everyone likes Catherine better than me, right? I mean, <laughs> duh. <laughs> she never speaks for six hours. So, um, listen, don't just listen to this message once. Listen to it again. Take some notes on it. Get a notebook. I'm amazed at how I cannot get anyone in your generation to get a notebook. Uh, you know, find a way to, get, to have your, your plan documented. Uh, share it with not everyone, but, you know, and reevaluate it. Have regular periods of time. Like, I have certain things I seek the Lord about every year. I have other things I seek the Lord about every Sunday. And I, and I reevaluate this or that. You know, like if, uh, you know, I've been on this upward curve of... Uh, of uh, gaining weight, and uh, which I had, I had lost, I had lost five pounds for like seven years in a row, and this year I've gone back up twenty pounds now, and uh, so believe me, I'm gonna be doing something about that starting tomorrow. I've got a plan, but you know what? This morning I didn't feel like getting on the scale and finding out that I was gonna be up another pound or two <laughs> because I knew from watching football all day yesterday and having cheeseburger and uh, whatever else. I knew it wasn't going to be good. But you know what? You got to start by evaluating where you're really at and then get a real plan. Your plan may not be the same as someone else's, but it's got to be something that, that is scriptural, something that's going to work for you, something that's going to work long term, 
and usually you'll have a few mature people in your life. That's the, one of the great benefits of a spouse is, you know, you uh, tell your wife and she's, no, that's crazy, you know, or, or whatever, whatever. You know, that's a very big help. Hopefully, that I know this has been long. I went more than one hour over. Um, I'm, you, listen, I, I get to the point. Sometimes where I hardly can go on because I, 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 I pour over in my heart and mind. You know, uh, I, don't, I don't know why this is. We have like, again, like half the people in this church just really get it and really grow and really use the tools of grace and, and have become like amazing to me. Like I, I cannot, there, there's, I can look out and see so many people here that compared to where they were at when I met them, like a John Bradbury, like I can't believe how much God's transformed them. But then I see other people that have been with us one year, three years, they're stuck. And I'm, I'm begging you for the sake of Christ, listen to what we're talking about. Get unstuck. You can get unstuck. Anyone can do it. The grace is available to everyone. And, and get a plan. But you don't just come and ask Teresa to tell you what your plan is. You know, uh, get the plan, work, get it worked out and so forth. Then have Teresa, if she's your, especially if she's your discipler, have her go over the plan with you. And you might adjust a few things. Yeah, this is pretty good. This is, but, you know, don't, don't expect that, that we're going to do it for you. That's a deception. But, uh, don't, but don't do it without us either. Okay, I, hopefully this is helpful. I I want us. This this is a church that has great, great, great potential. If but we've got to get everybody to go forward. It can't be thirty percent. It's got to be a hundred percent. You're you you in any family. You are really uh, what you are together. And we need every everybody to be making leaps and bounds progresses towards spirituality. It's not that we don't love you if you're not. I, you know, like I can be patient for five years, seven years, ten years. But, but my heart breaks for you. Because so often you're sitting in a place where you don't need to stay. Don't do that. Hopefully that's all clear. Uh, let's play Isaiah 58 and 12 while we're taking communion.